Hello over there, uh, dear biohackers. My name is Teemu Arina, and I'm your host today on the Biohackers Live Show. Today, my guest is Elsa Sotiriadis. I don't know if I butchered her name, but definitely that's going to be an absolutely interesting interview. We're going to be diving deeper into the topics that are related to uh, biotech. And uh, basically, when it comes to biohacking, most of the biohacking that we uh, have been covering is kind of softer ways of uh, modifying the human organism through dietary changes or through lifestyle decisions. And the way how we've been looking at DNA is basically epigenetics. So how you can influence your gene expression through uh, your lifestyle choices. But today we're going to be diving deeper into modifying uh, the biological organisms, modifying human organisms, uh, and using biotech for, for those purposes. And looking at the human body really as a biological computer. So Elsa Sotiriadis is a is a definitely a, one of the top experts on this field. I'm going to introduce her in a moment, but before I do, I want to remind you that you can follow us live on uh, Facebook and on our YouTube channels for Biohacker Summit. And there is also the show notes page at biohack.to slash Elsa. So biohack.to slash Elsa, you can also take part in a chat. Um, that's basically the YouTube chat as well. And you'll be able to follow the stream live as well as see the links of this week's episode. And you can use the hashtag Biohackers Live on Twitter and Instagram for any of the uh, questions that you have as well. But on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, feel free to ask questions um, and we'll be happy to answer anything you that you have out there. So Elsa is a globetrotting biohacker turned futurist and entrepreneur. Uh, she's been a director of a VC firm. Uh, she helped build twenty. And she helped uh, build twenty-five breakthrough startups to advance innovation in medicine, food, energy, and sustainability. Uh, that's called Rebel Bio. Super interesting. Check on YouTube. There is a really, really good video of their demo day, basically showcasing all the different startups that were part of that program. Prior to that, she has been a lead analyst and management consultant for, on emerging technologies and co-lead. Uh, has co-led a futurism-related study. So she's definitely someone to go to when you want to better understand where we are going when it comes to our relationship with the new technologies that are coming out of the biotech space and looking at things like synthetic biology uh, and so on. Actually, she has a PhD in synthetic biology from Imperial College London, has written for publications like the Singularity Hub and take, you know, goes under her skin she became a cyborg live on stage she has an implant um playing a little bit with the tech here elsa how are you doing I'm great, thank you i'm so excited to to be part of the live show and um yeah Happy to be here. Yeah, Elsa is right now behind a kind of a shaky connection. Uh, so bear with us in terms of the video quality, but the audio comes through just fine. So uh, what are you up to in Spain? Um, so I'm partially working from here. I'm also taking, so I've temporarily adopted a couple of rescue dogs. Let me show if I can just show them to you. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> and there's a little pool um, behind me. So I'm also partially on a cycling holiday um, to do some sports and take three weeks abroad and kind of try to, to merge um, these different things. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. You have, you have so many professions from rescuing dogs to cycling and being a biotech futurist. So um, we're, we're delighted to have you here. You're going to be next week speaking at the Biker Summit. And the topics that you will dive deeper into is digital biology revolution. So uh, why don't you, you know, begin by telling us a little bit about your background, what got you interested in synthetic biology and, and all these different topics that we're going to be discussing today? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. So my passion is making science fiction real. And science fiction has been the initial spark that actually got me into science in the first place. So it was, um, I was 
15 or 20 years old. I'm not sure I remember exactly, but a science fiction novel really changed my life. It was The Andromeda Strain written by Michael Crichton that really showed me the beauty and, and the power and the potential all packed into this invisible blueprint that is our DNA. Um, in the case of the book, specifically, it was an RNA virus, but it just really unleashed this passion in me to really understand what's going on with this magnificent software, what we can do with it. And then I studied biology and biotech a little bit all around the world, um, from Hong Kong to, to Boston to Basel and Switzerland and Zurich and Strasbourg. And I don't know, it all kind of got mangled up along this passion of mine which is is the future of biotech and also traveling so I'm traveling right now as well and I think it's it's a really fascinating area to look at it to look at if we are interested to understand where our species on a very um deep level will go to in the future so the answers really come with biology mm, I see so when we are looking at the intersection of computers and technology and biology, uh, what I see being thrown around today is basically comparison of computers and software to biological computers and biological software. And we're talking about, I mean, the, even the words and the language that we use is kind of aligned with that. If you look, look at the human brain, we talk about um, uh, storing memories. We are talking about, um, you know, we're talking about um, uh, if you look at CRISPR-Cas9 that we're going to probably go deeper into later on, we are talking about programming uh, biology. We're talking about uh, gene manipulation uh, as, as kin to uh, writing software code. So how close are we as biological organisms to the tools and technologies that we have created. So, um, sorry, can you repeat the last part? Yeah, so, so how close are we to the tools and technologies that we have used? I mean, that's kind oh. of the metaphor that we use now for biology as well. Yeah, definitely. So we are computers and our brains are computers and, and our cells are computers. It's just how a matter of how proficient we we will become or currently are in actually using these tools and creating code that isn't buggy and shuts the whole system down, but actually enhances computing power, processing power, and all the different functions we can do. So I think we are very clearly um, moving in a direction where we can use software and transgene organisms and, and plasmids and all this stuff that biology is made up and use it as kind of an app store where we can use organisms as a hub to perform all different kinds of functions. And we're getting better taking this decentralized app store that first is a bacteria and then yeast, which resembles the human body a little bit more, to with now CRISPR and Cas9 and a couple of other technologies to actually make humans computers that we can upload and down download software into. Right. So uh, looking at the computing paradigm here, is, is biology really doing arith arithmetics? Is it calculating things? Is it adding things up? And uh, I mean, you're using kind of that kind of metaphor to describe what's going on on cellular level. So are those really computers? And can those be compared to the computers that we have on our desktops or in our pockets? That is a really great question. Um, the most metaphors, of course, if you look at what's actually going on in a cell, it's a huge universe of very complex, interconnected scientific processes. So saying that a cell is a computer is, of course, a gross oversimplification and underestimation of, of all the, the things on a molecular level that are going on. However, the, the concept is, yeah, is pretty much the same. So we can create artificial gene circuits and um, put those into bacteria to actually 
use these bacteria as very simple cal calculators that can take inputs from certain concentrations of, of reagent molecules around them and produce an output. Um, so we can actually kind of make basic calculations on, on a chemical level that returns an optical output. We can also, of course, store data now in DNA, which could become the backbone of secure offline long-term data storage in the future. Okay, so uh, hold on. So, so let's go back a little bit. Uh, we're looking at now uh, the, the, the human cell as, as kind of a software uh, that is part of a larger app store that, that is our bodies. And now we are kind of harnessing the knowledge that enables us to um, better understand how those cells work. We have interventions that we can use to, to influence what's going on. We can gather data and, and we can kind of uh, get closer uh, to understanding of how biology works and how it programs and reprograms and recreates us every day. And um, so um, what kind of applications do you see for this? I mean, evolution kind of is doing this computing already. It's, it's kind of letting us adapt to our environments. Now, what is the benefit of humans uh, starting to do that adaptation uh, for itself? I think the key thing um, starts with disease. So right now, for instance, we so the um, I think it's DARPA. It's the defense um, agency in, in the U.S. They are experimenting with a brain implant that can control someone's epileptic seizures. And this has been in trial for the first time in humans and seemed to show really promising results. So I think the, the potential is that we could, A, genetically modify ourselves to cure genetic diseases with like a one-off gene therapy. This has been done, um, I think, on a trial basis for certain um, uh, certain types of blindness. And the other is the merger of the human body with tech. So there's been a paper on holographic projections of memories or something onto certain regions of the brain. Unfortunately, I haven't read it yet, so I don't want to talk about it too much. Um, but in the area of um, neural augmentation and neural tech, there's so much going on, which I think these two are really promising directions. Right. So uh, looking at disease, um, you mentioned shutting down maybe inherited disease conditions. So based on genetics, you might, you might get something later in life. Uh, how would that be feasible? Like, uh, do we need to start from the human embryo before you are born? Or can we do that later in life when you're already uh, kind of a billion, trillion cells? Yeah, that's that's part of of um, the drawbacks of the technology. So CRISPR in a single cell, we can do that really efficiently. We can cure um, malfunctioning DNA, introduce new new code, and basically override malfunction in genetic software. If we want to take this whole experiment and apply it to the complexity of a human body with a ton of different cells that, that have a different microenvironment, it becomes really complicated really fast. So the mm. two main hurdles to overcome to apply this on a mass scale, cheaply and effectively and safely to the human species is having um, the CRISPR-Cas9 machinery delivered to all the cells in the body, and then also making sure that there are no dangerous offsite mutations, which there's still some debate about it. Right. So um, uh, there is a question from Brett Navigation on the chat. Um, question from Vivian Ricci. Are we talking about DNA coding here? So can we, I mean... Um, I guess that's kind of what 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 people are interested in is is kind of um, if you take DNA, uh, can we start programming that as if as if it is software? Oh, now your dogs got really excited. 
<laughs> another dog is barking like a couple houses further <laughs> so <laughs> sorry i didn't hear the the last part <laughs> yeah there's so a, the, um yeah can we can you elaborate a little bit on dna coding there's a question from the audience yeah absolutely so if if dna and this is that you don't need to be a scientist to be able to do anymore. So we now have this really beautiful, powerful technology. <laughs> Sorry for the barking. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, we can take from behind. <laughs> Great. So we can take DNA coding technology from behind the walls of institutions and, and ivory tower universities and put it in the hands of, of a billion people. So if you want to code DNA, you basically can, in a really simple kitchen, your bedroom, a home lab, you can do it. So you have a piece of plasmid, which is basically the let's say the, the beta software that you want to modify and you have a whole bunch of um, restriction enzymes and, and ligases which um, cut, cut certain DNA out and new DNA. And with this new piece of DNA, you can basically encode different functions from a computer like a software programmer. So the software programmers of the century. So we, we have millions of databases that assign specific functions to specific genes. And this gene function is literally a code of four letters um, of, of the nucleotides of the DNA. So you write the function you want and you insert it. In theory, it's really easy. In practice, it's called cloning. And it's it's one of the greatest nightmares of everyone working in a lab. Right. So let's let's make this easier for people to understand who are uh, following this remotely. So I'm gonna I'm gonna show a little slide here on, on CRISPR Cas9 so that we, we're gonna jump into looking at what it's all about. So so can you kind of uh, guide us through uh, in simple terms, uh, how gene edit editing can be done through CRISPR and what are the benefits of it compared to any earlier methods? Because my, to my understanding basically of this is that when you talk about gene manipulation, gene editing, um, it sounds pretty crazy and kind of almost dangerous, but the fact is that it's super hard to do and there's a lot of errors that we've been dealing with in the past and you can do it for a single cell, but not necessarily for the whole organism. So how is CRISPR-Cas9 um, uh, approaching this and, and will, we, will we be able to solve some of those issues when it comes to accuracy of DNA programming and also when it comes to cost of doing something like this? Mm -hmm. So the interesting, the most interesting thing about CRISPR-Cas9 is that for the first time in human history, these tools have now actually become really cheap and really effective. So genetic engineering, you can imagine it as, as like a huge time-consuming complex enterprise, whereas now these tools have become really important to, to unleash the next step of what we can do in the lab. Um, so how it works in, in really broad, simple terms is um, CRISPR-Cas9 coding complexes originally isolated from bacteria and you typically have a piece of guide DNA that guides this complex through the right um, place in in a genome or let's say for for making it easily understandable you you just have kind of plasmid and you want to use CRISPR to make changes on that plasmid so you have a guide DNA that hybridizes with the part of the, the plasmid that you want to change and then these protein complexes kind of center around it like like a molecular symphony of some sort and your guidance having the right um guides um guide rna so the gRNA, you can get those to the right places um make the insertions and basically overwrite um the original dna version Right. Okay. So, um, and what is the accuracy of doing something like this now? It depends. So there has just been a new CRISPR-Cas9 version, 
which apparently has much improved accuracy, so there are less off-site non-specific mutations. Um, I'd have to look up specifically um, what they are, so I don't know by heart. I think if we want to apply it, though, to a full human body and do it in a safe, effective way, there's still um, quite a lot of um, time and investigation that needs to be done before. Gotcha. Okay. Um, this basically uh, sparks a question of like, where are we going as humanity? I mean, we are now at a stage where we can take uh, basically the the human organism and we can start modifying it on ourselves, uh, ourselves basically. And I'm, I want to bring in Seamland in and um, to discuss this evolutionary adaptation that is kind of being now handed from uh, the evolution. Uh, evolutionary process to evolution by intelligent design where humans are kind of taking part of that process. So let's take a little uh, look at Seamland's video and bring him in to the discussion here. Life is stress adaptation. Living organisms and niches are constantly adapting to the conditions of their environment and natural selection predisposes their survival. Charles Darwin said that it's not the strongest nor the most intelligent that survives. It's the one that's most adaptable to change. Over the course of millions of years of life on Earth, this has indeed been the case. Nature has ruthlessly cycled through several of these transformative events that have changed the face of the planet completely. Humans are definitely not the strongest of the species, nor the most resilient. We have a fair bit of intelligence, but our greatest strength is in our ability to adapt to our surroundings through the means of culture. There is no other species on Earth that can live in such a variety of climates and in different social groups. In the case of society, it's natural selection through cooperation and adaptation. This phenomenon is called niche construction, which is the organism's ability to reconstruct its surroundings and thus control their own fitness landscape. Beaver dams, birds' nests and large cities are all prime examples of this. Ultimately, what determines the survival of an organism is the exposure to its environment, whether that be the external environment around us or the internal environment in our body. With the help of tools and technology, humans can become more and more in control of their own environment, which leads us to the situation where evolution can happen not through natural selection, but by conscious design. It's culture rising above nature, but not in a dominating or demeaning way. Nature is ruthless and indifferent towards conscious experiences and the subjective perceiver. Life is unforgiving and doesn't take into account the common values of humans, such as empathy, cooperation, kindness and meaning. If we can agree that something is better than nothing, then it's goddamn worth it to work on sustaining the consciousness of humanity and to learn how to optimize both our external surroundings and our internal environment. Biohacking and biotechnologies may sound fringe and distasteful just because they're deviant in nature. No other species could rewrite their genetic code or improve their physical traits. But from the perspective of evolution, it's the most natural thing to do. They're just ways of adapting to future changes and preserving the conscious experiencer, which at the end of the day is all that brings meaning to anything. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Seem, for, for that little introduction over there. So, uh, Seem, you are, are you over there? I mean, take the mute off and, and jump in. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> Still here. Awesome. Good. So, um, can we as humans take evolution into our own hands what's your take on this uh, as someone who is a anthropologist basically look at evolution of how we deal with our tools and language and culture and norms and eventually also our biology hmm. well yeah it's a very thought-provoking question and it's a very challenging uh, problem as well and i believe like uh, the the idea of the human mind is constructed in a way that uh, we are creating our own reality in the sense that uh, nature exists or nature unravels itself only in our in our own minds and we are creating culture in a sense that is built upon nature in a sense culture is something that is distinct from nature it's not it's not a natural thing it's only created by the human mind and uh, the society in general so yeah like humans are actually only the only species that could 
control their own evolution in a sense that they are actually aware of the uh, this sort of thing like natural selection and they're aware of their own um, you know, like how their physiology functions and and uh, do, through 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 the development of technology and our understanding of it we can you know yeah start to rise above evolution in a sense we can direct the course of our own development because in nature natural selection happens unconsciously without you know the animals or the other species being aware of it it, it simply happens in a sense that uh, it's a natural process of you know cycling out the mm. least adapted or the least least fitting ones for that particular environment but if then it's in a sense it's going to direct the course of how natural selection works we can you know selectively choose where this direction is going mm. uh, looking at uh, Jar uh, darwin's quote on uh, the survival of the fittest uh, sometimes it's translated as the survival of the strongest which is a mistranslation of the original meeting which is more about adaptation to your environment and you describe basically how we first create these things in our imagination and it seems like then we are manifesting this into our own reality. So we first think about uh, what's possible with technology and tools that we are working with. And then, uh, then what we do, we, we basically use um, our imagination to change our own reality. So uh, looking at science fiction, for example, it has been being kind of a guiding... Um, uh, kind of almost prophetic um, uh, description, a set of descriptions of where uh, the future might be going. Uh, basically, um, first working on some of those concepts, extrapolating for from our existing uh, reality. You look at um, things like space travel. You look at things like uh, even even the mobile phone was was also already predicted in science fiction. Looking at the fact that we take our own evolution into our own hands by starting to create completely new types of organisms. So how do you see this as, as someone who is into the evolutionary uh, process and, and interested in, in how we then influence our own destiny? I think, I think you kind of nailed it in there, like that uh, the human mind or, or let's say self-consciousness itself it uh, predisposes you to have imagination like what is consciousness is, is consciousness itself is like being able to see yourself in space and time and being able to project yourself into the future and to see yourself in like this linear time time is also like only a creation of the human mind time itself you know sub objectively we, we can say that it doesn't exist and only the human mind can conceive of it so that yeah, like the subjective experiencer or the or the presence of a subjective subjective consciousness, that's going to predispose the ability to yeah project the future and to in 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 that in that way kind of yeah like to take control of this evolution in, in the sense mm. of imagining on, and being being like this uh, conscious and creative designer of uh, of of what what our life or existence is going to look like. Mm. Evolution in itself is is a construct of the mind. I mean, it's an abstraction of reality. It's our way of describing what's going on, how yeah. nature kind of adapts uh, to to the changing conditions. And now as humans, we are taking that abstraction, we are taking that idea, and we are basically becoming ourselves uh, the, the ones who are controlling evolution. And, and this will definitely take some people on the edge of their seats if you take uh, people are religious, uh, often uh, fundamentalists, um, perhaps not necessarily, but also maybe even realists and skeptics of humans' capabilities to kind of understand the complexity of nature. So when you start to tinker with one gene, one place, suddenly have all these side effects, and oops, we didn't, you know, predict that, uh, uh, and then shit happens. And and that's kind of another thing is kind of uh, what has been said about CRISPR-Cas9 and these technologies that it's kind of like giving nuclear weapons into the hands of monkeys um can they are they able to really kind of understand what they're dealing with and and this is definitely i want to hear elsa's um take on this so elsa what do you think about uh what has been discussed so far i completely agree on 
on the questions like, are we living in a simulation? Is reality encoded? How is it encoded? Um, science fiction being a prophetic power, not just in our culture, but, but also in science, just because it's so visionary and has the power to inspire the next generation of scientists and technologists. In terms of taking evolution into our own hands, um, with any technology, there's a huge something as powerful as CRISPR. I think it could either, you know, in, if we go into, sorry about the yeah. noise. Um, I'm change location later. Okay. So if you if you, whenever you have a really powerful tool, there's always a huge potential for misuse. And what what I'm observing is that between the haves and the have-nots. So this this is, um, you've probably seen Altered Carbon on Netflix. It's written by uh, Richard Morgan. And it's it kind of draws uh, a frightening, but somehow in its core, realistic, futuristic landscape that divides the population between the have-nots and the have, so the, the myths, um, who are the rulers of the society. And if we kind of project this into our realities in the healthcare system, I think we're going to probably see more and more of a divided population of those medical treatments be healthy and live a, um, a long life, extend their health span and those of the children, etc. And not so unfortunately can afford and I think with CRISPR you have a huge commercial interest attached to that and also a huge drive in the research community to to keep open source technologies available for those who, who need it um, it's certainly going to be really interesting I, the future that I'm hoping we see is that we can basically scale it up and use it safely on, on people and really add so much more quality of life to create a future where we can all be our best and healthiest selves and extend the, the life, um, lifespan, but also health span of the human species. Yeah. So um, I'm going to uh, throw in at this point uh, the weekly research article uh, that I find is really fascinating when it comes to potential application of CRISPR-Cas9 in the future for human health. So the weekly research article is about CRISPR-Cas9 and its application on treatment for uh, cancer, uh, pre basically preventing cancer that is caused by viruses like the human papilloma virus, HPV. Uh, HPV is basically abundant. Almost everyone gets it one way or another. Uh, if that will manifest as cancer later in life, um, it, it all depends on a, a wide variety of different factors. And uh, just as a reminder uh, what CRISPR-Cas9 is. So CRISPR-Cas9 is a system, it's a part of the immune system bacteria that protects the genome of bacteria. Uh, gene editing methods in which they are causing mutations to the DNA of target cell is involved. Uh, with this technique, the target cells can be reached more accurately, uh, faster, less expensive than other gene editing methods. And uh, several studies have shown that these mechanisms can also significantly enhance the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the sensitivity of cancer cells. Uh, transplanting this mechanism into human tumor cells is under massive research in order to reveal new treatments for cancer. So what they effectively do in, in the weekly research article, they are looking at the, as a review on the potential of, of the use of this in cancer treatment. And um, basically looking at the potential of combining CRISPR-Cas9 with other treatment options, such as therapies for oncogenic HP, H, uh, human papillomavirus-associated carcinogenesis. Um, so about HPV. Um, the high-risk human papillomaviruses are associated with more than 90% of cervical cancers and also other cancers uh, in, in mucous membranes and so on. Uh, screening has reduced both the number of deaths from cervical cancer in the developed world for decades 
and in, in collations has started in order to prevent HPV infections, but new therapeutic approaches are urgently needed. Um, the mechanism by which HP virus, HPV virus causes cancer is that they produce proteins that shut down genes in human genome that provide cells for, from uh, basically prevent cells from getting cancer. So when you have HPV, what is happening is, is that it's basically blocking some of those processes uh, in the cell that then eventually increase the likelihood of that cell getting cancer. So when you transport CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing technique in, um, you, you can basically modify uh, the, the virus DNA, for example, so to effectively render that um, uh, unable to express uh, that, that result in the human organism. Now, this is still quite far from actually getting an injection into your body that modifies every HPUI virus in your body uh, and renders the risk for cancer um, out of question. But this is just an example of uh, what could be possible with this kind of technology where we have high accuracy. Uh, what makes me wonder, though, is that why do we take such a you know, difficult approach? Why don't we just get in and destroy that motherfucker for good? Well, it's, it's a good question if, uh, if HPV virus plays a role in the human organism. I mean, it's so abundant. If there is some benefits to it and its presence, there is definitely many uh, bacteria, parasites, and viruses that play a role in actually human health uh, for the positive. And often the issue comes from once your immune system weakens and some, some of these guys get out of, out of whack, get, get basically uh, out of hand and, and cause a lot of issues. If you look at uh, HIV, for example, if that progresses uh, too far, um, the, the reason why you die is all these other um, uh, uh, other uh, kind of complications that you get into um, once it destroys part of your immune system function. So uh, I found this review interesting. Um, uh, what do you take, Elsa, on, on this? And uh, um, have you seen some interesting treatments that are being developed or underway for, for really helping us to get rid of some of the the serious um, uh, problems that are lurking in our environment and in our environmental adaptation that that might uh, have great benefits uh, when we're applying gene editing to, for example, the presence of bacteria or viruses in our body. Yeah, um, I th it sounds like really fascinating and and inspiring research um technically the the graphics is is really blurry so i couldn't really see what what they did exactly but it, it sounds like like a good plan <laughs> hopefully we can do it for for lots of people i think um cancer immunotherapy is, is a field where people have put in a lot of effort and potential into for 20 years with shall we say limited um breakthroughs coming out of it however now if we have tools like CRISPR that can blend in with this it becomes really promising really fast and one key thing to really internalize though is that cancer is of course not just the one disease but it's thousands of different diseases many of which sometimes don't really know the underlying, um, let's say, error in the code um, because they there may be several things coming together. It's all part of the complexity of the human body. Um, I read one example where um, a blind person has been cured of this and somehow this was um, um, a, a genetic um, disease that has been... Um, Actually, I'm just trying to look look it up because I don't want to say something wrong. It now doesn't sound very plausible. Um, but cancer immunotherapy definitely is a really exciting field to to apply it. I saw um, a while ago one report of the first human test in the U.S. that involves the the CRISPR tool, and um, this has been a study at or a trial at the University of Pennsylvania where um, I think it consisted of 18 different patients um, battling three different types of cancer. Um, so 
And, um, oh yeah, so this is now in preparation. So we're going to see that we're going to see the results. So I think it's a historic time where CRISPR is being applied in the U.S. for the very first time in a patient group suffering from three separate different types of cancers. Um, I'm going to actually see if there is an update on this and then maybe say something about it on my talk. But I think it's, um, yeah, we should stay tuned on that one. Yes, absolutely. So I, I noticed that there was also news of... Uh the modification of human embryos in China for shutting down some of those genes that might be related to uh, getting an inherited disease. And um, it, it kind of worked, but it actually introduced another bug that they were not aware of. So it seems that many of these um, defects or bugs in the code that we have in our bodies that seems like a bug has effect somewhere else. Uh, a pretty good example is APOE4. So if you take APOE4, uh, it might increase your risk for Alzheimer's disease, but it also increases intelligence. So what are you optimizing for is, is a really good question here. Are you optimizing for longevity? Are you optimizing for lack of getting a, a certain, certain disease uh, or infection? I mean, there's all these adaptations to the environment, and when you change that adaptation, or, or you change kind of those bug fixes that the body has already made uh, to overcome some of those situations, uh, there might be uh, kind of uh, side effects that you're getting yourself into by modifying these things. So definitely it's extremely complex uh, and we don't fully yet understand the, the ramifications of, of, of doing one edit here and one edit there and, and what might come out of it. It's still quite experimental to my understanding. We can probably, you know, modify bacteria or simple organisms and make them do something that we need. For example, make them um, uh, clean the soil or be able to produce certain medications or nutrients for our use. Um, uh, and and that's, I guess, is closer to reality that where we are right now is instead of just modifying the human directly or human embryos, we, we kind of start to look at simple bacteria and using CRISPR-Cas9 to make them do what we want. And uh, as a result, we can then benefit the human organism. Um, is that right? I mean, I look at some of the startups in the Rebel Bio program, and it seems like most of them are working on projects that are involving modification of plants or, uh, or, 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 uh, or bacteria or, or uh, pr producing uh, much simple, uh, simpler therapies. Yeah, um, so the companies are definitely really exciting. So in the entire field um, of, of biotech, genetic engineering per se is not a new technology. So researchers have been modifying genomes and plasmids of simpler organisms for decades. And genetic engineering through either breeding or through molecular tools is very deeply ingrained with, with a very... Um, sense of being of humanity so the ancient egyptians have have used um simple organisms through types of ear and precursors of of bread um so now startups are are using the tools to create designer organisms that make useful things especially the field of synthetic biology is really pioneering in the sense that it brings together all these other disruptive um, technologies like AI and massive scale data analysis and, and robotics and brings them to the lab and brings them to, to our own software, the DNA. So, organ so um, startups today can, for instance, which I think is a key to feeding nine billion people in the coming years in fact um our very food chain may crash if we don't figure out a way to create high efficiency plant that feed the world another one is an often cited example and the probably most well-known synthetic biology company right now is ginkgo bioworks in boston and what's interesting about them is they're essentially a designer organism factory. So they have a whole bunch of different libraries that contain different genes, and they test in a very high throughput, fast-paced format 
a whole range of different organisms for different conditions. So they actually figure out um, a way to mass produce designer organisms that make exactly what you want it. We can also use bacteria to create um, new biomaterials, or we can implant existing metabolic pathways into new organisms that are better suited to do something affordably and cheaply and safely. Another example is bolt threads, who are using a synthetic spider silk chain and put it in the yeast and produce um, silk, uh, a silk fabric in a huge bioreactor and they make these beautiful ties and are, are now collaborating with Stella McCartney to produce eco-fashion. So I think if we want to move towards a healthier, more sustainable planet, it is simply not possible without genetic engineering. So we have a moral imperative to keep pursuing genetic engineering research and keep supporting the researchers and startups in the field. Hmm. So genetic engineering might as well be part of our inevitable future and we have to take it seriously because it can provide us so much in terms of our health, well-being and also just practical day-to-day -day life. So so thank you very much for Elsa for that. So if people want to know more about uh, what you're up to and you know this field where where should they go for? What should they search for? What website should they visit? if they want to learn more about you and your work. Uh, sure, thanks. So you can visit me on, on my website. So my cyber hub is um, thebiofuturist.io. Um, so currently, um, I'm a digital nomad working remotely. Um, mostly, though, I'm based in London. So if you're in London to, to say hi and, and catch up on things, um, I also started my own business, which is I'm still a little bit, um, low-key so I'm just seeing how it goes I'm in touch with with some um, clients so it's a consultancy revolving around disruptive innovation and the potential of digital biology to transform the world also if you're interested in science fiction definitely so I love cyberpunk and and everything that's near future speculative to how um, the world will work in the future, where humanity is going. Um, you're more than welcome to to read my book uh, called Replicon. It's it's a science fiction novelette um, about a chaos researcher thrust into a futuristic city where um, basically sentient non-human intelligences run wild, and he discovers dark. So, so that was Replicant, and it's a book by under your name. Uh, Replicant survival <laughs> is a bug. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so my author name is E. A. Solaris, uh, oh, because okay. Tiriadis, <laughs> as you saw, is a bit hard to pronounce. Gotcha. Exactly. Survival is a bug. Well, yeah. I found it on Amazon. I'm gonna make a link to that. Looks fascinating. Looks interesting. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Elsa. And I'm looking forward to to your talk in. In, in Stockholm for the Biker Summit. Um, uh, definitely for anyone following, if you find fascinating what has been discussed, you probably also noticed that the connection was not the best that could be there. You can have yeah. the best possible connection and also we have the best possible live stream. So if you can't come in person, you can also just like jump in to uh, the Biker Summit Summit website and uh, sign up for a live stream that's going to be streaming next uh, week Friday 18th of May and uh, you can also join us in person and if you can make it for the live stream you can still get the live recording afterwards if you sign up for the live stream so so check it out um, uh, with with Elsa's work I mean check out biofuturist.io I'm going to link on the show notes all the important uh, links and other discussion points that we had so if you had some challenges of kind of getting some of those things uh, we have the links over there. So with that, I mean, Elsa, thank you so much for coming to the show. I'm looking forward to your talk next week. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated the chance to talk to you. And yeah, join us all if you're listening. Join us all on the live stream or, or come to the Biohacking Summit. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Elsa, for that. So um, I'm going to close, uh, tell a few things. Uh, uh, to your audience, so thank you very much for coming over uh, for for this for this specific um, discussion today. Um, so, 
yeah, Elsa's talk is going to be at the Biker Summit. Uh, there's a bunch of other things. We just published the full program. It's jam-packed with a lot of things. We dive deep into ketogenic diet. Sim Lund is going to be there. If you kind of got familiar with this guy in our last few episodes, he's going to be over at Biker Summit sharing his knowledge on how you can kind of becoming uh, anti-fragile. Uh, that's the next thing after bulletproof, by the way. You become anti-fragile of, you know, with all these biohacking things that you're getting yourself into. We're going to dive deep into the health effects of light and photobiomodulation and low-level laser therapies and all that. Um, I mean, light is such an important part of what it means to be human. And for that reason, we also look at circadian rhythms. We look at chronobiology and, and chronotypes. Next Friday, I'm going to be interviewing Hannu Kinunen from Finland, who is uh, one of the uh, basically masterminds behind Aura, uh, the smart ring. And Aura ring is definitely one of the go-to devices on the market for all the biohackers out there. And uh, he's going to be sharing how you can find your optimal bedtime. We're going to have a chat on that on Friday. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm super excited about next week. And, you know, Join us uh, if you can. If you can't, you know, follow us on Biker Summit on our Facebook page or our YouTube channel. And uh, these show notes for these episodes will be available at biohack.to slash Elsa. And uh, sign up for our newsletter. There's a bunch of interesting coming uh, things coming out. By the way, I have the work chapter of the Biker's Handbook uh, coming out probably tomorrow. So check out biohackingbook.com also if you're interested in how to hack your working environment. So with that, you know, uh, I welcome you uh, also next time to the Biker's Live Show. And now, you know, it's time for you to go and perhaps hack yourself and find a new level for yourself. Maybe you can use CRISPR-Cas9 and gene editing and all that, uh, or maybe not. Um, be careful out there. Thank you very much.